This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. When Jan Zwicky talked about the need to be independent of the grid, she mentioned a 60-second outage at 4 a.m. last year. Zwicky wasn't aware of any negative impacts until she went into the basement three days later. Her freezer, which had been packed with food, went off. Most of the contents were ruined. That has got me thinking hard about ways that I can keep that freezer running even when the grid goes down. So I've identified something essential. Do I need to be able to flip the lights on all the time? No, I have this amazing little setup that'll run for hours with LED lights on a single candle. I'm not particularly dependent on the computer, but boy, I don't want that freezer to fall apart. So I think... I can can encourage all of us, as it were, to do that kind of energy inventory. Where do you really need it? What would it take to keep you functional? Mike Gall added. We've learned very quickly in the past two years, and in, the, in particular in the last two months, how fragile our systems of sustaining our society truly are. In the case of islands where a single line comes across from Vancouver Island and supplies all of the electricity to Quadra, all of the electricity through to Cortez, all it takes is a severing of that artery and suddenly we're into a two, three, four week scramble to try and live (laughs) with, with Literally no electricity available to us other than what we can do by running generators or some secondary means of supplying our electrical requirements. Jan Zwicky and Mike Gall are members of Quattro Island's Energy Self-Sufficiency Team, one of several groups that came out of the community meeting that launched Quadra ICANN in March 2020. At that meeting, it was suggested that we divide up into interest groups and energy was one of them. I ended up talking with Rod Burns and Jack Siegel. Those were the two folks most interested in energy. I'm really aware of the the places where, for me, electrical energy is essential and I don't trust the grid staying up. Remember we had that hurricane in 2014 and we lost power for 10 days. That was very educational. And there have been bad storms, grid interruptions. I was in Edmonton in the early 80s when there was a big earthquake in California and the grid in Alberta went down because of the earthquake in California. Maybe that was what really galvanized me. Realized, oh, wait a sec. (laughs) This is a continental system. You can't count on its being there if there's a crisis somewhere else that was a big wake-up call. And, and so ever since then, I've been thinking about ways in which energy that I really need <laughs> might be made independent of the grid. We believe that there will be upcoming stresses on the energy system. There's going to be way more price hikes, but also a lot of our energy contributes to climate crisis. We're encouraging awareness of ways in which energy can be conserved to make your life less dependent on the grid, and then awareness of alternative ways of satisfying your energy needs to make you 
um, even more independent of the grid. The Energy Self-Sufficiency Team is working on a number of projects right now. They're putting solar panels on the roof of Quadra Elementary School and intend to hold workshops on window insulation, testing, cleaning, and recharging batteries, and on the pros and cons of various solar heating systems. They also supported the recent Canoe Pass Tidal Energy Project on Quadra Island, which according to the Quadra ICANN website, hinged, quote, on the government's willingness to allow a non-profit island energy co-op to participate in BC's net metering program, unquote. The first steps is the conservation mode, learning all the techniques that you can possibly garner to bring your energy consumption levels down. Have a look at where you're consuming energy in your life and then ask to what extent you actually need to consume that much. I think a lot now about the situation I grew up in as a kid, people were in my family were still excited about the arrival of electricity. My mother had lived with it until she was an adult and my grandparents had lived without electricity for most of their lives. And so in the background, I mean, electricity, wow, you know, you can run the freezer. Wow, we have a refrigerator. Wow, we have lights at night. You know, there was still real excitement in my family about this. So I was aware of how people had lived. And if you reflect on it, you realize <laughs> it's everything before the last hundred years, people lived without it. How the hell did they do that? Well, one of the enormous social challenges is to bring all of us forward without major energy expenditure. I read somewhere that the expenditure in an average middle-class home is equivalent to having 89 slaves. So that's one thing that energy does. It helps democratize a, a, a culture we don't want to go back to the, the time when there were people who only did all the work that electricity allows us to avoid. We, we want everyone to continue to enjoy a really good life, but with a lower expenditure of energy. I, if, if I understand your comment correctly, Jan, what I would say is that to successfully have a culture that everybody has a chance, we have to balance things a little bit. Mm -hmm. so, so those that have access to less in regards to energy need to be able to get a little bit more. And those of us who have an excess of energy have to consume a little bit less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My family lived to be almost 90 and there was no electricity. <laughs> there wasn't a hospital. How'd they do that? <laughs> well we have to get back there or, or get forward to there in a different way. I guess these are the challenges of a modern, of modern times is that, you know, everything is in flux right now. Everything has yeah. an element of change associated with it and not the least of which the things that we take purely for granted, such as electricity and energy consumption. And it needs people to understand that there is actually an issue, number one, and number two, that they have the powers and the tools to change it. There are choices, yeah.
once you've reached a satisfactory minimum, what are my alternative methods to generate power so that I'm not entirely dependent on a large corporation that really just sees us as customers. We really want to create educational opportunities for people to understand the alternative technologies. Some of them will be larger scale as it relates to say solar, to wind power perhaps, micro hydro systems, that sort of thing. But then we also need to discover what are some very practical small scale what you can do at home, a DIY type project that helps benefit your household from either a heating or a hot water or an electrical energy input. For example, although here on Quadra, most of our energy comes through the grid from the hydroelectric project on the Campbell River, um, that project is getting old. They need to rebuild. There's a whole lot of cement coming into that. And in periods of drought, even in the recent past, BC has bought dirty coal energy from Alberta. So our grid has drawn on that. What community projects are there that will also make the community as a whole more energy resilient in the face of really skyrocketing costs, attempts to keep energy sources clean, and, and indeed just shortages of energy? There are other ways of preserving food. Like we had big frost last night and I didn't get home till late. My chard is pretty crispy around the edges and some of my lettuce, even in the greenhouse, got a little bit burnt. This is when I really switch to the food that I've preserved. I've got canned food, I have dried food and I have food in the freezer that I grew. Well, the dried food doesn't need electricity right now, but it sure needed electricity when I was drying it. Your food requires energy, even if you're doing a lot of it yourself, right? If you're going to the store, there's huge amounts of energy involved in the transportation of the food and the keeping of it refrigerated and all the rest of that. Keeping food in your fridge at home, in your refrigerator, that requires energy. And then many of us here on the islands are on wells that require electricity to bring the water to the surface. My grandmother had stories about having to bring water in a barrel from the river that was two miles away. When I think about that, she's using a sledge and a pony drawing and all this, whoa, that's a heck of a lot of work. We are so privileged, so lucky that we have electricity and these wells are fabulously clean. It's wonderful water, but if the electricity isn't running, how do I get at that water? Our well is 600 feet down. (laughs) That's a heck of a lot of shoulder (laughs) work. I don't think you can do it. And so the ICANN, the rainwater collection projects actually intersect with the energy team here working towards self-sufficiency. We have, for example, an elevated small solar array that would keep your well running in the summer and micro hydro for a community. I'm on a big slope on Harriet Ridge that would keep the five wells in my neighborhood running in the winter. That's the kind of thinking that we'd like to engage people with. What if the grid goes down? What do you really need? How will you work towards making yourself independent of the grid in a crisis 
so that your essentials will still be available to you. Gall said there are some supposedly green energy solutions, which may turn out to be very expensive. As an example, yesterday, three or four in the morning, I found this article about a condominium complex, I believe it was Ontario, and they have like four units attached in one building. Each unit has its own separate, very expensive Tesla battery wall, and it has something in there around 25, 30 solar panels up on the roof, and they generate power to charge the battery system. They also have a, a massive what they call a, a Tesla battery system, which is an external, it looks like a, a, a three or four great big air conditioning units all tied together. That's probably the best description I can give it. But they're still grid tied for the sake of convenience. Yeah. They can be running independently for a little while, but they can't run completely independent. Right. So is that really a solution? That is a system based on highest possible commercial technology, highest possible complexity, any one of those units failing, any one of those components that make that system work fails, and it's a useless system, and it's highest possible expense. I'm not sure what the total expense was, but it was quite extraordinary, added a lot of cost to each one of those condominium units. That would probably be related also in the monthly fees that you get to pay to maintain all of that kind of stuff. So you got to have a technician that invisibly comes and make sure everything's working exactly how it's supposed to. Then you take the other extreme where I was just reading this article about a gentleman who lives in Newfoundland and has very limited access to resources. It's not off grid, but he's, he's got limited access to things like uh, firewood for heating and so on. And he invented out of tin cans and a panel system that he built in his shop, a way of generating heat in the midst of 35 below temperatures and just absorbing heat from the sun, running through these strings of tin cans and coming out the other end as hot air, which he blows into his house to subsidize the heating that he has to do. So you can go extremely high tech, with all of the problems associated with it, or you can go extremely low tech. I like low tech because I can control low tech. One of ICANN's aims is to try to facilitate awareness of these many possibilities and, and to encourage independence, the independence that comes with low tech. I think that, that we would like people to, um, think hard about that and see the advantages, if not the convenience of low tech. We're anticipating high energy costs and also interruptions in grid service. So that's where the interest in encouraging people to think about how to be independent of the grid comes from. Not some um, idea the grid is bad, but the grid may not be there all the time. So your water, your food, to some extent, people's heat here is very, very basic things are dependent on the grid. Many people's plumbing systems are dependent on the grid because they're on septic systems that work automatically to pump stuff. All the lots here were designed with the septic fields uphill from <laughs> the building sites. This is absolute insanity. But you're stuck with that once you move in, right? I mean, 
the, the cost to rearrange it, to put your house uphill from your septic field. Well, we don't have that kind of money. So we're stuck with no plumbing when the grid goes down. And people need to think about that kind of thing too. What are you going to do when the grid goes down for four weeks? What if it goes down in the summer? What's your big issue? I think it's going to be water. What if it goes down in the winter? What's your big issue? It's going to be food preservation. So get those things turning over and working in your community to think of, of ways that the community as a whole can be resilient. You've been listening to an interview with Jan Zwicky and Mike Gall from Quadra ICANN's Energy Self-Sufficiency Team. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye. <laughs>